You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important IU basketball stories from the past seven days. This is our 107th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 465th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, January 10th, 2018. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. The Hoosiers have won the national championship. This week's banner moment occurred on Wednesday when Romeo Langford was announced as one of 25 players on the midseason watch list for the Wooden Award, which is given annually to the nation's top college basketball player. Look back at the recent history of successful IU basketball teams, and we've usually had at least one player on the radar for the Wooden Award. Yogi in 2016, Victor and Cody in 2013, and on and on. So it's obviously a great sign that Romeo has lived up to the hype in his freshman season by earning his way onto the midseason watch list. But there's an issue with the midseason wooden list. Juwan Morgan deserves to be on it too. In my mind, he's been one of the 25 best and most valuable players in America this season. Now, you can't just make a statement like that without actually identifying at least one player Juwan should replace on the list. Fine, I'll give you three. Keldon Johnson of Kentucky, Luke May of North Carolina, and Ignis Bresdakis of Michigan. Now, all three are great players having great seasons but none of their numbers are as robust across the board as Juwan's, and certainly none are as valuable to their teams as Juwan is. Fortunately, it's only the mid-season watch list, so there is still plenty of time for Juwan and Romeo to position themselves for inclusion on the late-season list and the final ballot. Regardless, Romeo and Juwan make every IU game compelling because we know that we're watching two of the best players in America don the cream and crimson, and we only have them for a few more months, so we should appreciate every game. Obviously, Indiana needs to find more consistent scoring outside of those two, but having two potential All-American guys gives you a fighting chance every time you step on the court, and whether the Wooden Award wants to recognize it or not, that's exactly what Indiana has. All right, now let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show. To my left, he is the Sean Payton of Girls Youth Sports Coaching in Cincinnati. He's the President Emeritus of the Robert Johnson Fan Club, and he is a world-renowned bracketologist. He also has some unique ideas about how Indiana should try to defend Maryland's versatile offense. What if you played part of the possession in man, but then later toward the end, you switched into a zone? He is Andy Bottoms. Andy, what is your Bottoms line from the last week in Indiana basketball? I mean, that was not an original idea of mine, so I don't want to take full credit for it, but be that as it may. uh, You You really don't want to take full credit. I definitely definitely don't. I definitely don't. Uh, That is how you're a champion. 
maybe. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, for me, the, this big stretch that we've all been talking about for a while got off to a, a rather inauspicious start and truly a start um, of the, uh, you know, of the Michigan IU game. I missed the the first part of the game while I was at my daughter's game and I looked down at the stats and I texted Jared and I said, is it as bad as the defensive statistics, statistics would indicate? He simply wrote back, yes. And uh, and from there, everything kind of, you know, played him played him even as you guys talked about in the post game show, and then again on on Banner Tuesday this week. Um, so, you know, I, I think the outcome itself not necessarily surprising based on how Michigan had played uh, leading up to that point. And so, you'd like to see, you know, that's really the big thing. I think I'm looking forward in the Maryland game. I, you know, whether IU wins the game or not, I think, you know, some of the matchups are not necessarily favorable, but there's some, you know, I think some some components of it to like. Uh, as a variety of folks have have broken down this week, but I think the thing that I'll be looking at the most is just how they how they start the game. Are they able to correct that part of how things have gone wrong? Because you know what what we don't want and what has happened for you know some of these you know some of the years when um, things start to go south is we feel like the show gets like formulaic where you can come on and say the same things over and over again, and I feel like we're like rapidly approaching that point with the slow start uh, narrative as we go. So this would be a good time to. Uh, to reverse that, they've got a couple really important games coming up in a stretch of ones that uh, I know you wanted to hit a little bit on the bracketology stuff on a on a really uh, difficult but potentially fruitful series of games that that IU has coming up, and uh, you know the next two that take place between now uh, and when we'll have another radio show again next week become really important. So I think at a minimum you want to split those. Um, if you can find a way to win on the road at Maryland, though, uh, really puts you in position to come back home and maybe and maybe start to build some momentum up. And to my right, he is a columnist for The Big Lead and a co-host of The Hangover. And if he seems at all distracted tonight, please bear with him. He's still recovering from his USC Trojans being involved in Cliff Kingsbury's inexplicable failure upward. And he's preparing for a bittersweet Chargers playoff game this week where he has to either root for the franchise that spurned his hometown or the Patriots. Screw the Chargers. Okay, I guess that was easy. Ryan, what do you have to rant about this week? Go Pats. Uh, Pat, the Patriots are now my favorite team of all time for the next few days. Uh, I have fully gone to the dark side, as you would say. It's going to go over uh, real well in the Indianapolis market. You know what? I, I'm sorry, guys. I really am. But for one week, I am absolutely rooting for the Patriots. There's no question about it. Uh, as for this week in India basketball, I think we got a really kind of sad injury update today it seems like rob finnessy will miss the maryland game uh, and it looks like jake forrester hasn't even been practicing much uh deron davis really struggling with his ankle i believe it's his ankle he just says his lower leg so i assume it's his ankle and then race tops it's still out uh this team we've been as andy said we need to we, we keep banging the drum on the slow starts i think we also just we're also keep banging the drum on the injuries these guys need to get healthy uh indiana needs to be healthy to be a factor in the big 10 i think there's no question about that those guys need to play and they need to make a difference and because they can't and rob finnessy is your starting point guard i said that after the butler game that's when he earned the job as a starting point guard possibly for the next three and a half seasons and uh, to have him out is a huge blow to this team. Not because Devontae Green can't play point guard, but because sometimes you want to put those guys on the floor together. You want to have two ball handlers together. Sometimes you want to put them with a guy like Romeo Lankford so they can play off the ball. Uh, so missing him really limits the amount of looks you can give an opposing defense. And then Deron Davis off the bench all year when he's gotten the ball in the post has dominated. And uh, I really think that you're 
you're missing a guy who can really help you off the bench. And as we've seen, there hasn't been much bench scoring. So Archie Miller today said he needed Evan Fitzner to step up. He needed Clifton Moore to step up and he needed the rest of the guys to step up. And that is pretty yeah. much the rest of the guys. That's pretty much the rest of the team. Yeah. And, and so those guys need to step up and do something and he's right. But I also think in some ways it's almost unfair to expect those guys to fill that hole, but he's got no other options and this team has no other options. So those guys really do need to step up this week. Yep. All right. Well, here's what we're going to talk about this week. We'll react a little more to Archie's media availability from Thursday. We will briefly discuss how Indiana is looking from a bracketology perspective with half of the regular season in the books now. Then, does Indiana need a third consistent score to emerge? And are there any examples of IU teams as top-heavy as this one actually making the NCAA tournament? We'll talk about that. And then, as we always do, we will answer your questions. All of that coming this week on Assembly Call Radio. All right. Now it is time to talk about sleep. And Ryan has graciously offered to handle this week's comfort option ad read. So, Ryan, over to you. I don't want to. Well, what's wrong, man? Is everything okay? Been a rough week. Oh, no. Why? I almost died. Okay. All right. Now, Andy, wait a second. Let's hear Ryan out. How did you almost die? I could not sleep. Well, I mean, that makes some sense. Sleep is essential for good health. Is there anything that I can do to help? I just want to go lay in bed. All right. Well, get some rest. Let me handle the ad read read this week. I got it. Love you, buddy. Yeah. So let's talk about comfort option. Because if you're struggling to get good sleep like Ryan, then it might be time for a new mattress that is custom designed for you. And if you live in Indianapolis or Bloomington, comfort option will literally bring their mobile mattress store to your house and custom design a mattress for you right there on the spot. And one of the best elements of this program has always been the incredible 30-90 satisfaction guarantee. Basically, they give you 30 days to try your new mattress, and if you don't like it, they'll take the next 90 days to reconstruct it to your satisfaction. Still don't like it after that, they'll take it back and refund your money. I refuse to believe that's the case. Well, Andy, I know it sounds crazy, but it's true. And it only sounds crazy because no other mattress companies are bold enough and confident enough to offer such a guarantee. You might be thinking, though, okay, that's awesome for the folks in Indian Bloomington, but what about the rest of our listeners who live elsewhere? Oh, don't worry. Comfort Option has you covered, too. And they do this with their Alpha mattress, which they ship direct anywhere in the U.S., cutting out the middleman and saving you money. That's not new information. No, Andy, it's not, but this is. Comfort Option recently extended that 30-90 satisfaction guarantee that I was talking about to the Alpha mattress. Again, 30 days to try it, 90 days to reconstruct it, satisfaction guaranteed, or they take it back and refund your money. Boom. Over. Done. Hey, Ryan's back. Do I look like I just woke up? Because I did. You did. You do. But we're glad that you're alive. We're glad that you're with us. What do you think about Comfort Option and the 3090 guarantee on the Alpha mattress? That's absolutely something I've got to buy. Awesome. Well, just go to ComfortOption.com and either order your Alpha mattress or schedule your in-home mattress store service today. And when you do it, use the promo code ASSEMBLY to get $50 off your purchase. Again, ComfortOption.com, promo code ASSEMBLY to get $50 off. Get the mattress that's right for you. Don't leave your sleep to chance. It's too important. We want you to live. Yes, we do. We want you to live. Okay. Now, back to the show. Um, I got to know, how long did it take you to put that together? And what other constructive things could you have been doing in that time? I really have to that know. Is, that is not important. Let's move on. Let's just, let's just move I on I can here. just picture, picture Jared at like four in the morning working on this and his wife coming out. Jared, give it a rest. Go to bed. And you're just like, like a, just need like five more minutes. It's, it's like a mad scientist in a chemistry lab somewhere. Exactly. Just, yeah, just yeah. locked away. <sighs> okay. Um, let's talk about takeaways from Ar- Archie's media availability. Ryan, you talked about the injury update. That was obviously the biggest takeaway. Very disappointing, you know, for, for everybody to to hear that. But I thought there were a couple of other interesting things that stood out to me. 
Uh, one of them is when he talked about, uh, you know, Jawan Morgan. He thought during the mission game that he got a little bit tired. You know, he said you can tell sometimes that he's gassed out there. And Andy, that's one of the things that Alex and I addressed on podcast on the brink this week was, you know, Jawan is carrying a really heavy load. And when you don't have a guy like Duran in there, especially against Maryland, that's going to make things tough if Juwan has to bang against Bruno Fernando for 20 to 25 minutes. So that's where, you know, anything that you can get from Fitzner, not that he's going to go down there and bang with Fernando, but, you know, a guy like Clifton Moore, if he can get in there and give you seven to 10 minutes, that's going to be really important tomorrow night. Yeah, I think, you know, with Juwan, you want him to stay on the court because of, you know, not being foul trouble, but you also need him to, you know, have a little bit left in the tank when it gets toward the end of the game when you know you're really going to have to ride him. So, uh, yeah, it sounds like, Clifton Moore is probably the most likely guy to be able to to take up some of those minutes if Duran can't go at this point. But um, yeah, I, I think some of it is just not trying to do too much as you're those guys coming in. I mean, really, you're just you know do what you're supposed to do defensively, stick to your assignment, make it tough to to get shots up over you. And you've got uh, un- unlike Juwan, those guys have fouls that they can use up. And yeah, you don't want to put somebody in the bonus too quickly. But you know, it's not a case where if Clifton Moore picks up two fouls in four minutes, it doesn't ultimately matter uh in the grand scheme of things in the same way that it does with morgan so it's a big opportunity for those guys and i think you know if more can come in and and play with some of the energy that he played with in the penn state game that might be uh, a a big lift but you know again i think everybody's pointed out you know there you can see in in glimpses when they're out there there are reasons why some of these guys aren't playing and um so i yeah it's it's a big opportunity for him because i do think he's probably at this point maybe a little bit better suited um, than Fitzner, although the alternative of that is Fitzner really being able to, to space the floor, which um, you know Ben and Seth talked about on the on the matchup, you know where maybe he creates some driving lanes and pulls one of those rim protectors away from the basket. So, argument to be made on both sides, but Fitzner has to be able to you know kind of at least do enough defensively to to make it worth IE's while to to give him minutes against Fernando. And the other things, Ryan, real quick, you know, he said about Justin Smith, he's as improved of a defender as there is in our conference. Actually said he's as improved as he's ever coached, which, you know, backs up, you know, kind of my eye test watching Justin play. And he also said he wants Alan Devante to hunt the assist as much as they do the challenge shot at the basket, says they are missing open shooters, which I thought was interesting and would obviously, you know, help if those guys are able to create for others. Um, you know, Al, especially Devante's done a decent job with assists, but he's also you know, kind of taking some of those wild shots that if he was able to get in the lane and pass those out, you know. Honestly, that's that's part of his game. It is. You know, those shots are part. And sometimes they go in. That's the thing is you can't be, you know, when he goes four of nine, like he did against Michigan, you kind of say, well, okay, that's fine because he's never going to shoot above 50%. He's just not that guy. And some of those go in, some of those don't. I mean, now when we're talking when he gets up 15 shots and makes four or five of them, that that's a problem. But that is part of his game, as you said. But yeah, those guys, of course, when they have the ball, they need to be aware of the whole court, not just tunnel vision to the hoop. And and I think that, you know, that that's something that comes with experience. And these guys both have some experience. And so you're at a point where you probably should be seeing some of the, you know, some evolving there. As for Justice Smith, I agree with you. And I think that we talked about in the very beginning when he was really struggling and people were talking about take away his scholarship and all that garbage um you know i'm on twitter folks i don't you know it's i don't i don't want to be but i have to be um but i will say with justin smith what we talked about and and i brought it up and you you guys both agreed with it that they just needed to simplify just play defense justin and then let your game extend out from there and it's almost like they did that. Uh, you know, I'm not suggesting that they listen to the show, but hi, Archie. Um, but you're not they, suggesting that, but you're not saying they didn't. Like, you're yeah, not, we don't we don't know for a fact they don't. Um, but tell the truth. There you go. Um, but 
you know, it, it is like he simplified things. He He's playing better defense. And it's like, if he can affect the game on the defensive end, it doesn't matter how much he gets, you know, scoring wise. You need, I mean, he'll get his points. He'll get, you know, whatever it is, six to 10 points a game that he gets. And then you can expand on that even further. But, you know, simplifying things for him and just focus on shutting people down on defense because he's, he's, he's so athletic that, you know that he can shut people down on defense. I mean, it's so easy to teach an athletic guy to play defense well. It really is. It's it's hard to get him to to be as disciplined as he needs to be. Um, but he's starting to get there, and it's so much easier for him than it is for anybody else to play defense because of that athleticism. And then on offense, you're seeing him again. Basket cuts. You're seeing uh, guys, you know, him going after offensive rebounds and putting things back. You're seeing him just sort of simplify his offensive game. And then once you have that locked down and you know what you can do, then you can expand it and, and you know, start taking shots from 10 feet out instead of just five feet out and then 15 feet out. You know, just sort of work on your game slowly. And And right now, I think if you ask an IU fan, based on where he was at the beginning of the season and where he is now, I'm thrilled with Justin Smith. I'm thrilled with where he is. Obviously, I know he's got a lot more in the tank, but I'm thrilled with where we're sitting right now. Yeah, I think with him, everybody, you know, you start with how well he played at the end of the season and just the the athleticism. I think everybody kind of jumped from, you know, point A to point D in his development and assumed that he would get there this year when, you know... I don't necessarily think he's taken a step back. I think he's added some things to his to his game. And I think it almost accelerated a little bit because it was like, well, this is a guy that might, you know, go in, into the draft early. And maybe he still will after next season. We have no idea. Um, but I think what you're seeing now is is what you'd think would be a somewhat natural progression for a guy who, you know, kind of got by a little bit last year on, you know, raw ability and the fact that he had to play based on the depth of the team. Um, and, and showed you some of the flashes. Now I think you're seeing some of the complementary skills that are going to make him a complete basketball player. And then ideally either later this season or into next season, as you said, Ryan, he starts to build on that and be able to do a little bit more on offense. So, you know, I think as much as we want to, you know, accelerate these guys development and, and see it, he may just be a guy who took a little bit longer to do that, but, um, you've definitely seen growth in what he's been able to do since he came to IU and, um, you know, I think the, the book on, you know, the, the potential for him to really enter the draft over this year is, you know, kind of long since passed, but that was something that at the beginning of the season was discussed. I think now you can start to like put him in a little bit different perspective and start to look forward to, Hey, he's what he's doing this year. He's starting to be a guy who you really know what you're going to get from him night in and night out. And Oh, by the way, as you look at what he could become next season, it becomes really uh, exciting and a reason to, to get excited about him as a three or four year player, as opposed to maybe, you know, a two and done type guy. Yeah. All right, coming up on the assembly call with half of Indiana's regular season games in the books. How do the Hoosiers currently stack up with the rest of the nation in terms of resume? We have one of the world's best bracketologists with us, so we will dissect that next. Stick with us here on the assembly call. the assembly call you can find all of our content at our website assemblycall.com and if you ever want to participate in our unedited live broadcasts chat mobbers or watch those replays then check out our youtube channel you will be privy to all of the between segment banner that might not make it into the radio show or the podcast edit 
Like this strangely melodic sequence of weird noises that we all unwittingly participated in one time. Uh, uh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> I was going back through listening to a show. <laughs> it's fascinating. How how would anybody not want to listen to that? Yeah. So glad. So glad yeah, that didn't so, get edited it, out or anything. It's, that was like, super important. it's like those old. It's like those old Budweiser commercials with the frogs. That's yeah. what. The, uh, those are uh, those are extremely yeah. tired. Anyway, so come watch us on YouTube so you can hear that stuff. YouTube.com slash assembly call. All right, I'm Jared Morris. That was like late period Korean era, clearly, is what that was from, where he just showed up for a shower, like, I don't know what else to do. Do we have to do this? (laughs) Uh, I'm here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. So we were not planning on talking about this on the radio show, the the concussion issue, kind of getting into it. But Ryan made a good point. Um, and you know it had to be a really good point for me to admit that here on the air, that we haven't sure. actually talked about it on a radio show. We talked about it on a post-game show. I talked about it on Banner Monday and Podcast on the Brink. But we just had a 10-minute conversation, Ryan. Kind of sum up what we talked about, because there are, I think, some bad ideas going around right now about concussions and how Indiana's handling them. Yeah, I think that a lot of people are assuming, well, hey, in football, a guy's back after a week. Well, Football has a very bad track record with brain injuries, and as we've seen that over the years. And and so I would not rely on the NFL or college football to be your benchmark for how to handle a concussion. Uh, Let's also remember that these guys do not wear helmets, and any trauma you suffer uh, to the head without a helmet on is going to be even worse and from what we understand, both of these collisions were pretty bad. And, and Race Thompson, apparently his landing was brutal. And, and we and, saw Rob's. And we saw Rob's. He got a knee to the side of the head, which is a weak, I mean, it's a weaker part of your head. Um, and, you know, here's the other thing about concussions is that guys can look fine and not be fine. And, and I think that's the thing is you don't see them in a walking boot. You don't see them with a brace on. You don't see them in a cast. And, and you think that, well, he looks fine. He should play. Indiana is following the NCAA's recommended protocol, which is strict, but it should be strict because these guys are 18, 19, 20 years old, and one bad concussion can affect the rest of your life. And, and we're learning that now. And it's different. I realize there are some old school people who have, been, well, I used to get concussions at football. It wasn't a big deal. Every concussion is different. And by all accounts, these both were pretty bad. Everybody at Indiana wants these kids to be playing. Everyone does, including Archie Miller, including the kids themselves. They want to be playing. They don't want to be sitting on the sideline. But they're going to only let them play when it's safe to play. That's why they have objective people looking at this stuff. Exactly. We have doctors involved. This isn't just, now you're going to be out four weeks and you'll be back. They're testing them constantly, and they have to reach certain benchmarks. And as Jared has said that uh, numerous times we have that on the what's the website, Jared? Just assemblycall.com slash concussion. You can see the actual protocol. You can see the protocol these guys are going through. Now, of course, we all want them on the on the floor. We want Indiana to win basketball games. We're all fans. But there is something more important here, and that's dealing with a brain injury. A concussion is not, you know, a skull injury. It's a brain injury. So I think that people miss that point when they're talking about concussions. They think, oh, he got hit in the head. It's just an exterior thing or whatever. We're talking about brain issues and brain issues that have been proven to affect you for the rest of your life. The last thing these guys want, and the last thing people want in general is for these guys to have a bad concussion, come back too soon, because then you're. it's been proven that you're more susceptible to get another one. So while you don't want Race Thompson out for two months, 
You also don't want him to get another concussion and loot and be done for his career. Okay. So they're going to work with these kids and they're going to get them back as uh, only when they're healthy. And that's the right thing to do. I realize we're all basketball fans. We want the basketball team to win. We want the basketball team to have its best players at all times, but this is about a kid's health and a young kid's health. And I'm sure if you asked both of those guys, if they wanted to play, they'd say yes immediately. But Indiana is doing the right thing by being slow. All of these conspiracy theories about it are so stupid. They are doing this for the best. I mean, this is the best for the kids is to get back healthy. And you know what? If it if if it upsets some fans, they're willing to do that because you know what? They're going to do it right and they're going to do what's right for the kids. And in the end, that's what's right for Indiana basketball as well. So in other words, unless you're a neurologist and you have performed tests on Rob Finnessy and Race Thompson, maybe just keep your Twitter comments to support instead of criticism. Seems like the best. That, that was like the 10-second the version of what I just said. So yeah, <laughs> keep it up, um, Okay, so let's transition now into Bracketology, Andy, which is what we teased for this segment. There are a couple of things that I want to make sure that we hit. One is... You know, I think people are starting to see the value of some of those early wins, like the Northwestern win, like the Penn State win, start to dwindle a little bit, maybe getting a little bit concerned. Want to get your thoughts on that. And then also, you released a bracket this week. The guy, uh, Coach Tonsoni and the Delphi Bracketology guys released a bracket. They had Indiana fourth. You had Indiana fifth in terms of seeding, which you know might surprise some fans. That's a pretty darn good position to be in here with half the season already played. Yeah, to your to your first point about some of the some of the early games not aging as well as maybe you might like. I to a certain extent, I think if you look through the games, the Marquette win is aging pretty well. Actually, they they're playing well. Um, the the job they did defensively on Marcus Howard looks better every game that he goes out and drops yep. fifty three like he did last night. Marcus um, Howard is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, he was some of the shots he was making in overtime were just absurd. Um, so I think that one is that one is actually you know looks maybe even better now than it did before. Uh, you know, losing at Arkansas, they have they've dropped a couple other home games, but they're, you know, currently as I looked at it, they were 87th in the net as of today. So that's like at worst a quad two win. You have to they'd have to drop like a rock to to really fall out of that. And maybe if they you know finish toward the middle of the pack in the SEC, it becomes a quad one loss. So that one's not bad. Um, you know, Louisville, they're 30th uh, as of this morning. They really don't have any bad losses. Only a couple good wins. I think they'll probably take some lumps in the ACC, but again, that's not falling outside of you know quad two. Butler has been really up and down. That's been a little bit of a surprise. Um, you know, losing at home to Georgetown the way they did is probably the biggest uh, knock on them at this point. But I think the Big East is going to have a ton of teams between ten and eight and eight and ten. So, you know, they probably shake out again. That'll be a quad, maybe you know, fringe quad one, quad two. Uh, Northwestern, I think that's going to be probably a quad two regardless. You know, they're not going to they're just not going to work their way high enough to be uh, toward the top. But I think they do have a team that can upset some people And Penn state, you know, they just haven't beaten anybody good. Um, so that doesn't help them. But again, that's going to be a quad one, quad two game. So those are really what you look for. I, you know, none of those are going to look I gotta say, bad, you know, but I, I, I gotta say, if you look at it and people are surprised that there are four or five, they've got three losses and two of them are on the road. <laughs> one's on the road to the number one team and one's on the road to the number two team. Like, so I don't know how yeah. anybody could be really surprised that they're that high. I agree that maybe if you look at the way they've played, you don't think, oh, this is a dominant team that only has two of like, I mean, if you look at their two losses, it's the best two losses you can have uh, on the road to the top two teams in the country. Uh, obviously, the Arkansas one falls into a different category, but that was on the road too. So, I mean, 
from a non-bracketologist perspective, just sitting there looking at it, you kind of, it, it makes a lot of sense after thinking about it. Yeah. And if you look, I mean, so I had them right, you know, right around the, you know, kind of four or five split Delphi had them, I think 13th on their seed list. And then, um, Bracketville, Dave Amon, who's always one of the best ones as well. He had him as 14th on his seed list as of today. So Co- coach right gives there. Archie extra credit because of his crush. Well, that might be so, you know, but he's got, that's why he's got the whole club to help keep him honest instead of, you know, me where my own personal biases could just work their way in. They, they, they probably uh, had Indiana like 18th and he overrode them at the end yeah. and just kind of yeah, slipped them up five spots. What are you going to do? The one thing I will say though, is when you look at the remaining schedule, um, there are so many chances to get quality wins. If you, there's 16 games left, there are 11 quad one games as of where teams are today, um, including the next five. Um, then they go through a stretch where like quad two, quad one, quad two, quad two, then five more quad one games. And then they end with a, a two and a three. So in total, 16 games, 11 quad one games left, four quad two, and only one quad three, which is that season ending uh, game at home against Rutgers. So who just very, beat Ohio State? Yeah. So very few chances to take on what would be a bad loss. Doesn't mean you can go out and lose every game. But when you look at how some of these ACC teams in the past have done really well, and even the Big 12, where you get in a situation where there are really very few games that you can lose that will hurt you. Um, but almost every game provides a chance to really enhance your resume. So I think that in and of itself is a good spot. And, you know, as we said, if they're already positioned around that four or five, um, you know, type range and you've got given yourself, you know, again, these are going to change the, the ranking is still pretty fluid, but let's assume even if it's nine or 10 quad one opportunities and you get, you know, four or five of those, you're going to feel pretty good about what your overall resume looks like at the end. So I think the opportunity that IU has right now is, you know, kind of endless. And if things start to come together, well, um, they really have a chance to improve upon that seed. And I think there's a li- at least a little bit of a built in floor where unless you really just drop every game, um, you're not going to, you're not going to have a lot of losses that people are going to point out at the end of the season and say, Hey, this is the one that kept you from getting in or the two that kept you from getting in. Yeah, and I want to say, I think that Indiana going through this stretch where they've got injuries and where they're going to be facing the Big Ten, which I think most people widely agree is the best conference in in the nation right now, as far as depth, certainly, uh, and it's got a couple top-end teams, that's really going to prepare Indiana for the tournament. I mean, you know, you get there, you are not afraid of anybody because you've been through the ringer. And, and, And it's like those old Big East days where they used to call it the meat grinder. I mean, you go through it, it's the, there are no breaks. And you know once you get in the tournament, there are going to be no breaks. You're going up against the best. And I really think that's going to prepare Indiana and other Big Ten teams for the tournament, which is a good thing. So, Yep. That's Andy, my top. My Andy, top. any final bracketology thoughts? Uh, no, I think we hit on most of the stuff that, uh, that I had. So I think they're in, they're in decent shape. I think you haven't played your way out of uh, the potential for a you know, top four protected seed. And you haven't played your way onto the bubble. It's just a matter of what you do with the opportunities that are there from here on out. Cool. All right. Coming up, let's dive into the topic of scoring. Specifically, what does history suggest about the importance of a consistent third scoring option emerging? And who is it most likely to be for Indiana? That is next here on the Assembly Call. Stick with us.
Welcome back to the Assembly Call. I am Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. Remember that if you are a serious IU Hoops fan, you need to be subscribed to our free IU Basketball email newsletter. You will get our weekly news roundups as well as our in-depth post-game analysis emails the morning after every IU game. There's a high-level operation going on out there. And joining is easy. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. That's IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. Make no excuses. Can we get some basketball, please? All right, back to talking basketball. So, you know, one of the topics that has come up a few times on the postgame show is how much Indiana right now is being dominated by the two scores, Romeo and Jawan, and whether we need a third scoring option to emerge. And I think we've been a little bit split on this. I mean, we all think, obviously, you know, Indiana needs more consistent options behind Jawan and Romeo. The question is, does it need to be a specific guy? You know, and one thing that I thought was interesting you look at the numbers, Romeo right now averaging 18.2 points per game. If you remove the games against sub-200 opponents, he's actually averaging 19.2. Jawan also averaging more points if you remove those games. And if you kind of go down the list of pretty much every, we'll get to this in a second, but if you go down the list of pretty much everybody but Rob, they're all averaging fewer points in those games against better competition. And so those games, like the Michigan game, really seem to highlight this chasm between Indiana's top scorers, and the guys that are, you know, kind of a step below. So a couple questions I want to answer in this segment. Does Indiana need another guy to step up and be a consistent third scorer, like one guy, and who is most likely to be that next guy? So let's take the first question first. Do do we need a specific guy? So, Ryan, one of the things I did to look at this, I just kind of wanted to get some context from history, you know, to you know, IU teams in the past. So I set a consistent score to be nine points per game. And disagree with that part of the reason I did is because right now Indiana doesn't have a third guy at nine points they've got like four guys at eight so I just set it at nine to just look and and see what this looks like so Indiana's made the NCAA tournament 34 times since 1973 only twice did they have just two scores above nine points per game it was the 2002 team that made the title game and the 1995 team that lost in the first round for the average tourney season they actually have 3.73 guys averaging nine points or more so it's clearly possible, Ryan, and I'm not saying that Indiana is not going to make the NCAA tournament, but it, it's certainly you know more likely that you're going to get there, do better if you have more balanced scoring. What's interesting about the 2002 team, and Kent mentioned this in in the chat, and then I'll kick it to you for your thoughts, is that team was so good defensively. The fact that they had Jeffries averaging 15, I think, and Coverdale averaged 11, and then a bunch of guys at like seven, six, five, you know, they were able to get by with that. And that is obviously part of the formula for what this team is going to need to do is if they're going to be so reliant on these two scores and no one else really steps up, the defense is probably going to have to take another step or two forward to be able to win that way. And if the defense is going to stay where it is right now, then yeah, probably they're going to need at a minimum by committee, but most likely a specific guy to be more of a consistent scoring threat. You know, and I think that honestly, the sad part is I think Rob Fennessy was starting to look like he might be a guy who get you over 10 a game. And maybe creep into that twelve. His last three games against good competition, he was over ten points per game. He was becoming that guy. And if you get him to do that, and you get Justin Smith at like nine or ten a game, you kind of don't feel like you need a third score. You kind of feel like okay, we've got four guys in double figures. You know, I mean, or close to double figures. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it is. It is something. I, I don't know if you need one guy. I know the the specific. Uh, I think the specific thing a lot of people are talking about is, well, who's the guy that's going to step up? And it's like, well, it just matters each game that you get a guy to step up. But I, I agree. You deem, you do need a third scorer in each game to kind of 
step in and and take some of the pressure off those other two guys, particularly if and get guys used to doing that, particularly if you face foul trouble, if you face an injury, God forbid, and, and you face other things that are going to come up during the season. So I think I get why people think that and think that you need a consistent third score. I don't think you need a consistent third score. I just think you need guys with the ability to step up from game to game and fill it in. You remember the last uh, Big Ten championship team. Sometimes Nick Zaislav would go off for like 15 points out of nowhere, and then he'd have a couple games where he did nothing. But then he'd step up in games and help you win a game. And you had other guys, Max Bielfeld, you know, whoever else would step up and make something happen uh, behind Troy Williams and uh, and Yogi Ferrell. It wasn't necessarily always the same guy. And so I think that you really do need somebody to do it. But at the same time, it doesn't have to be the same person every game. And I don't think we have to kind of be looking for one guy to really emerge as that guy. Andy? I think it's I think it's difficult a little bit to try to just piece it together and figure out who it's going to be each game. I think we've seen them do that at times, but I also think there'd be some value into maybe a little bit more of a clear pecking order. And I think Rob fit into that pretty well just because he ended up having the ball in his hands a lot. And he was a guy who couldn't if he had to kind of drive and get his own shot, it could also facilitate a little bit, but and and had made, you know, big shots and was able to play off of Juwan and Romeo. I think that's really the big thing and and maybe that's a reasonable segue to the next question is like, what kind of player is best equipped to be the, you know, third banana to the, to those guys based on what their skills are and what you would need. I think in a, in an ideal world, it's probably somebody who's just a knockdown shooter because Juwan can pass really well out of the post. Romeo is such a good driver um, and be able to do that. And I don't know that that guy in particular is on the roster. Um, Rob was making some of those shots, but there's just nobody like, like that right there. But I think that's the kind of guy, you know, you mentioned Zaisloft a minute ago, Ryan. I mean, he would, he would be a nice fit on a team like this where, Perfect. you know, especially you, with the way he improved defensively towards the end of his career too. Yeah. So I think if you look at that and, and so that makes you think like, I'm not sure that guy is on the roster. So then you got to really try to sort through and we can talk through who the options are. I do think having one guy as opposed to a committee approach is, is probably the better way if it shakes out that way. I just don't know at this point because of all the injuries and things like that, you know, the obligatory mention of that, that I'm just not sure um, that that's going to be how it is. But I do think Rob was trending in that direction. And then I think, you know, a lot of the other guys really fit pretty neatly into those kind of more complimentary roles that are, that are there if he's able to do that. And maybe when, and if he comes back, he, he eventually works his way back to where he was. And that happens um, at the end of the season when you really want everything to be kind of clicking and everything sorted out. But I think it's going to take a little bit of time at this point. The other thing, too, about having, you know, say a third guy who's averaging 10 or 11 points is it doesn't necessarily mean that every game that guy is going to score 10 or 11 points. But what it might mean is that that guy's had a couple times where he's popped for 20. And I think that's the other thing that this team is missing is that. You know, remember last year when, you know, Justin Smith scored like 20 points at Minnesota. Those were really big points. You know, every now and then, you know, if Jawan's in foul trouble or if Romeo's just having an off night, it'd be nice to have another guy that can step in and go get you 15 or 20 points. And I think what concerns me is none of those other guys have really shown that against good competition. You know, we've had guys, you know, score 15 to 20 points against lower competition. But now that it's ratcheting up, the pressure on Jawan and Romeo to be, you know, quote unquote perfect and hit their averages if not above. So that's where I don't necessarily think you need that one guy every game. You know he's going to get you 11, 12 points. Although, again, I agree with you. Rob was trending that direction. But if you have that guy, at least with that point-per-game average, it might mean that he's 
pop for 15 to 20 three or four times, and that might help you win one, two, three games that you wouldn't have otherwise won. So I think that's that's kind of the hidden thing there when you look at it from a point-per-game perspective that I think Indiana's missing is they just don't have a guy yet who's really shown against good competition he can do that. I think the challenge is just trying to figure out the you know how you're giving somebody else besides those two guys enough opportunities to even do that. You know what I mean? They're not really running stuff necessarily for Justin Smith who... Well, if they're out, if they're taking a break, if they're in foul trouble, like the yeah. Michigan game, the whole offense fell apart, you know? Yeah, That's... I think it just becomes difficult where it's like you can't really, you know, the things they, they're starting to try to do a little bit more with Juwan and Romeo in terms of like ball screens and things like that. I'm not sure Justin like fits seamlessly into that. So then you're almost, how much do you really want to change what you're trying to do offensively in order to, to give him those opportunities? But obviously at that point, somebody has to take the shot. So you need to figure it out. But I think that's where it's a little bit difficult. Even if those guys are on the court, like, are you really running enough stuff that you're giving a guy enough possessions to even potentially use in that scenario? I, I just don't know that they are. And I don't know that anyone's play to this point has warranted that they should be doing anything different than having, you know, Juwan and Romeo really carry the bulk of, of things. And when you look at the you know, beginning of the second half of the Michigan game, I kind of went back through, you know, possessions and, you know, those guys were the ones taking the shots really early in the second half when IU made a little bit of a run to kind of get back in it. So it's, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword where, you don't want to take possessions away from them because they're the guys who are really going to score in order to kind of try some things out with other guys and figure out what's going on. And they're largely really efficient with them too when they do take shots. So I mean, we kind of have been doing that this season. I mean, he hasn't been putting the ball in Romeo's hands. It's it's almost like they've been trying to work some other things into the offense, knowing, well, we've kind of got in our back pocket. We can just give the ball to Romeo and you know, he's gonna be pretty good with it. So okay, so let's real quick hit the second question. I think we all agree that the guy most likely to step up and, and be this type of score is Rob Finnessy. The irony there is he is uh, fourth, you know, out of Justin Al Devonte and Rob, he's actually fourth in scoring average. But his scoring average goes up against the better teams. All the other guys' scoring averages go down, and unfortunately, Rob's not on the court right now. So, you know, for a game like Maryland, when you look at Justin, who's at eight point five, Al's at eight point four, Devonte's at eight point two. Uh, get both your thoughts on this, Andy. You can go first. Who do you think out of those guys, I guess, is most likely to, you know, to assume that role moving forward and? you know, maybe it's none of them, but who do you think would be the guy most likely at the end of the season, we look back and he's at, you know, 10 and a half points per game, something like that. I I guess I would lean toward Justin out of the, those were the two options you gave me. The one guy I'll throw out who I would say this is somewhat contingent on Rob coming back might actually be Devante in a different role. Um, When you talk about a guy who can come in with an unexpected, you know, 15, 16 points, I think Devante in an off the ball role could absolutely do that. I, I don't think that. he can become that guy. Again, I'm not saying he's going to score 15 points a game, but he can give you those kind of, you know, blip games of production that that really help you win a game. He but showed in, that last year. You're in right. what he's being asked to do right now with Rob out, that's not going to happen because he hasn't quite figured out how to how to balance all the things he needs to do. So I guess so long as Rob is out, I guess I would say Justin. Um, but I think that's again, that's a little bit hard because you're not really running stuff for him. And if you look at the kind of player again, he's playing off of those guys a little bit by making basket cuts and things like that. That's really the only way that he, you know, can can take what Juwan and Romeo do well and and kind of piggyback off of that um, versus a guy who can really step out and shoot. But again, I think of those options, I I would lean toward Justin. Ryan, I'm assuming you agree. Well, I, I would say yes to Justin I, and Devonte. I think those are the two real candidates. What I will say, though, is against Maryland uh, this weekend, which is, I think, we're, we're the most concerned with, and this will be 
airing right at the time the game tips off, I believe, on the radio. And uh, what I would say is the guys who need to step up are, are Al Durham and, and Devontae this week. I, I really think yep. they need to step up, and I think they need to attack. And Al has been really good going to the hoop at times, and I think he's really going to have to do that, and he's going to knock have to knock down some shots, and so is Devontae. Um, this is a Maryland's a big team, and you know the guards are going to have to be what IU leans on. You know, missing some guys on the interior. Yep. I felt like we had an amazing conversation on all levels. Thank you, Archie. Always appreciate that. Coming up in our final segment, we answer your questions, including a ridiculous but very important question for Ryan, and then a request for us to analyze Indiana's transition offense, which has been not good. We'll discuss. That's next. Stick with us. Listening to the Assembly Call, we are wrapping up another week of talking about IU basketball. I am Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. And as we always do here in our final segment, we have gotten some questions from you, and we are happy to answer them. And Ryan, this first question is specifically for you. This is from James. He says, Suppose IU could advance to the Final Four, but the universe demands in payment that Dean Spanos wins the Super Bowl. If fate rested with Ryan, what would you choose? Remember your audience. Hell no. No, there's zero chance, folks. No, no Spanos Super Bowl ever. I don't care what the reward. And by the way, a Final Four, not a national championship, just a Final Four. Would it change? Would it change if it was a national championship? No, it wouldn't. But I'm saying, like, at least give me something to think about. A Final Four. No. Uh, Archie's going to take us there anyway without us needing a Spanos Super Bowl. But no, no, absolutely not. No, Dean Spanos does not get a Super Bowl. In my, If I had anything to do with it, Dean Spanos never gets a Super Bowl. He dies a lonely, uh, sad existence and is, is nothing but a Whoa. footnote in, in NFL history. He just, just turned not, into a Bob Knight interview all of a sudden. He does not get to hoist the Lombardi trophy. And, I, and I'm offended that you've even suggested such a thing. Screw the Chargers. In other words. Thank you. Yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, our next question comes from the coach uh, who sends this in. Evaluate IU's transition offense. Is this an area where points and offense can be found? Yes. Yeah, so, Andy, I'm going to run through a few quick numbers real quick, and I've mentioned these before. But we're currently, you know, 18.4 possessions are in transition right now, which is the second most of any play type. We are scoring 0.97 points per possession which is in the 26th percentile. So that is not good. We are not Ouch. taking advantage of our transition opportunities, which stinks because Archie you know, talked about early in the season how much that was a focus. One of the big reasons why is because we're turning it over on 18.9% of our possessions, only 17% in the half court. So we're really turning it over more in transition. And transition really is all about the guards. And this is where our guards are struggling. Romeo has not been good in transition. Neither has Al, neither has Rob, or neither has Devante. Rob has been okay. He's only turning it over on 12.5% of his possessions. All the other guys turning it over on 21 or more, 21% or more of the possessions they're leading on the break. On the bright side, Justin Smith in 29 opportunities is scoring 1.4 points per possession, which is 92%. So that's your bright spot. Is Justin is finishing in transition when he gets the opportunities but with all the turnover he, turnovers he's just not getting the opportunities so andy as you look at this it seems pretty clear that there's a lot of meat on the bone transition wise and one way that this team could get more efficient offensively is you know just become halfway decent in transition 
but we're essentially asking all the guys who have been making the mistakes, you know, to get better, and we need to get Rob back to do that. And it would be nice if it started against Maryland because that's where you attack their defenses in transition. Yeah, I think it's uh, you know to me it's a it's a breakdown of the you know the ball handlers and passers versus the finishers. I mean, I would I would say you know certainly Justin is a guy. I would guess his turnover rate on those is incredibly low because he's just the guy you know on the receiving end at the basket, ideally, yep. uh, being able to lay it in. And I think Al, to a certain extent, even though his turnover percentage is high, like he's he's a reasonably good finisher in those kinds of situations just because of his his length and being able to get to the basket. So. It, you know, it's just the difference of can you just give these guys opportunities and take care of the ball? But I think we can think back to the number of fast breaks where, you know, pass kind of goes sideways instead of forward or backward and um, some of those kinds of things. It's, or there's no spacing. That's been an issue, too. Yeah, it's it's funny to actually see that that many possessions were in transition because I feel like short of the beginning of the season when a lot of it was off of turnovers, you know, that was really where a lot of those came from in terms of forcing turnovers. I used, you know, just outside of the top 100 um, in in defensive turnover rate where that's really where a lot of those are are coming from because you know they're an okay rebounding team i think some of the times the guards rebounding can help them uh really try to you know potentially get out on on long misses but you know conference play again not a ton of games but you know only you know middle of the pack in turnover rates so are not really generating as many opportunities so i was actually more surprised than anything um to see that you know almost 20 percent of the you know possessions are actually in transition because it doesn't really feel that way um, let alone how bad the other numbers were. Ryan, what do you see as, you know, in addition to the guards not turning it over, like is there anything tactically or different things that Indiana can do when they get these opportunities? I think in some cases guys are too self, too unselfish. Um, you know, if, if Romeo gets it on the break, Romeo should go to the hoop and get fouled. He should not look to give it up. Uh, I, I, I he's think starting that, to do that more too. Yeah, and you're noticing it's working and he's at least getting fouled. And I think that that's really important. Um, because he's the best finisher right now, I think. Uh, he and Justin Smith are probably the best two finishers at, if you're going up at the rim. And I mean, Joel Morgan, of course, but he's a separate category. Um, so I think that those two guys, you know, need to just take it and go. And, and I think it also helps when you have a trailer. And, and Justin Smith is a really good trailer. But again, th this team was turning the ball over a lot early in the season. I think that skews some of the statistics. And then you get into conference play and... Big 10 teams are good at transition defense. Typically they get back and make it hard on you. And, and so I, I think that has a lot to do with it. We also don't have, we also don't have they like played a, a tough schedule too. They played good yeah. team. We, you know, we also don't have a Christian Watford or a Max Bielfeld that are good at trailing and just draining the three, you know, when you exactly. And, and that, that hurts. I mean, that really helps your efficiency if you can hit threes in transition. And I can't, I mean, how many threes have we hit in transition this year? It's, it hasn't been many. You know, that's a role that a guy like Fitzner might be able to fill if he's on the court more, but he just hasn't really been out on the court that much. Um, all right, quickly, uh, Ryan, this is from Notorious. What current or former NBA players do Romeo and Juwan remind you of? Well, with Romeo, I've said it online. I think it's it's DeMar DeRozan. Uh, reminds me a lot. A great finisher. Guy great from like 15, 18 feet and in. And I think that he'll be a better player than that if he expands his three-point shooting. You know who uh, he started to remind me of a little bit more the last couple of weeks with some of the moves he's made? Not all the time, but he's got some Dwayne Wade in him when he goes to some, the basket and the way sure. that he finishes. But, I, you know, I'm considered... Better shooter, but... He's, he's bigger. Than, he's bigger than that. You know, he's got this. He he's way stronger than he looks, and that reminds me of DeRozan. DeRozan's a yeah. durable, tough dude, and uh, he doesn't look like it. 
you know, you look at DeMar DeRozan in a lineup, you would just say, oh, yeah, he's kind of a skinny basketball player. But DeRozan is, is a guy who does a lot of the same things. Um, and I'm talking just results, not the way he looks, but just results and size and all that stuff. That's the guy he reminds me of. If he expands and is a three-point shooter, I'd, I'd have to reevaluate that. Um, and DeRozan's getting better at three-point shooting. But, but no, DeRozan's the guy I think of. For Morgan, I don't know. I haven't even considered that. Uh, he's, he's very unique in that he's a guy who plays on the inside, but he's not huge. He's quick. He can move outside. Um, I didn't really have anybody in mind for him, and and I'd have to really look and and figure that out. But I but I think that my Romeo one feels good. I think that's a good comparison. Yep. All righty. Well, that'll do it for us on this week's episode of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us in the chat mob at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. And you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We will be back to talk with you after the IU Maryland game. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. Go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right. I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of the Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support the Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate... Another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show, we appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.